Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. Uh, I am actually posting this on, or recording this on January 27th. Uh, the day after the disastrous anti-work interview on Fox News. And I don't normally do hot takes, but the reason I'm doing this hot take is because I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen. Um, that's what news chases are for. It's not what we're for. But, I, but it gave me so much to think about, especially after I just happened to do a episode on anti-work that I think um, it's it. I had a big insight, right? The... The episode, the title of this episode is The Fall of Antiwork or The Anti-Problem. And so I want to talk about the anti-problem because it, it's how, how uh, anti-work is sort of falling apart or at least seems to be, again, not going to predict much here, but the turmoil they're having uh, is actually part of a broader trend of how movements sort of fall apart. But first, we have to get into what the heck happened in the short Fox News interview. It was bad, and probably the really bad part was the moderator comes and says, laziness is a virtue in this society. Um, and, of course, goes on to say, it's not that we don't want to work. <sighs> Go watch it for yourself. I'm not going to recount it. But, I, you know, part of a lot went wrong for anti-work. One of those things was that it was just a very bad representative. This is someone who does not seem to have good stage presence. It's not someone who really thought through what their game plan was, what they planned to say. Um, they just let the, you know, the host, the interviewer, carry them wherever they wanted to. And, of course, being Fox, you, I don't know, you go into a lion's den uh, unarmed and you get eaten by lions. And that's what happened. Um, and, of course, you know, it's already a pretty tough crowd for this pitch in the United States. You know, it's a it's a nation that has conventionally valued hard work. And you have a whole bunch of people saying, we want you to question the idea that hard work itself is good. That, like, working hard is good for its own sake. Right? We don't want to question the idea that, like, hey, if you want to work hard for something you love because you love an output, great, go do that. But, like, you're not a better person if you work harder than someone else and we do seem to you know there are some parts of america and you can find just about anything in america but there are some parts of america that celebrate how many hours they work um and so anyway there's so much you could have said but saying laziness is a virtue in the society is a is like you know shooting yourself in the head if you're trying to sell anti-work to a more conservative crowd and 
I think a big part of the problem, um, as we saw in kind of like the, like as we saw in the the a lot of the posts that were generated uh, on the anti work subreddit after this. Part of the problem is is a bunch of people felt like, wait, you don't represent what I think, moderator, right? Like you went up and said a bunch of stuff. That's not what I think, and therein lies the problem. What do we stand for is part of what's actually running around on anti-work right now. Uh, a currently upvoted post is maybe we should have a manifesto. <laughs> I think maybe you should. And um, and and here's actually what's interesting is actually right before the disaster interview, I got a lot of responses, some from friends, some not from friends, about my anti-work episode because I was saying, hey, it's not really clear what you stand for. You know, some people are for labor unions other people are for like you know burn down capitalism other people are like hey it's already a post-scarcity economy we shouldn't have to work if we don't want to like at all and um and then a bunch of people emailed me and said eric you don't understand anti work is really about workers rights or labor unions or it's about the problem with economic inequality or it's about um you know i read a, an excerpt from Karl marx's capital and i'm offended that employers take my surplus value um and i'm mad about that uh or it's we want the same standard of living that we used to have for a few hours, not more. Or it's about a four-day work week. Or it's about abolishing capitalism. Or, uh, nobody sent me this, uh, according to some of the mods, the moderators of A2Work, it's about anarchism, right? So anyone telling me, no, Eric, you don't understand, this is what anti-work's about, is part of the problem. Because anti-work isn't about anything in particular, right? It's anti-something, and it's anti-the way that work happens right now anti the way that like labor is you know like labor works in american society um but it is not pro <clears throat> anything and so i was i was having an interesting conversation with my friend austin um about this actually i get this was it's so funny it was literally yesterday uh the wednesday the 26th before the interview we were sitting down having lunch uh we were eating banh mi it was awesome and we were talking about kind of all of the interesting, um, all of the interesting stuff going around, on around the Great Resignation, which is like, I don't know if it's so much a movement. It's a bunch of individuals doing stuff, right? They're not organized in any way. They don't. The Great Resignation isn't mostly anyone taking a stand for anything, but it is a bunch of people reevaluating their relationship with how they use their time in their lives to go make money because money is a means to an end. Right. Work is some people work for a mission. Right. And and are lucky enough to do that. And I'm probably one of them. Some stuff. Some of my mission I get paid for. Some of my mission I do for free uh, on the side like this. Hello. Um, but a lot of people just work for a job. Right. Because they got to uh, pay the bills and uh, someone, you know, and and that's kind of the deal. That's how work has always worked. Like, hey, if you want stuff, someone's got to make it and you can't make all your own stuff. So you make some stuff and get paid for that. And you take that money and you buy all the other stuff you need from other people. And that's, you know, that's of course the big idea. And that's why most people work. And most people like wouldn't do a nine to five if they were, you know, if they had, if someone was cutting them a few thousand bucks a month to go live. So, so the things that Austin and I were talking about, among many others that I've probably now forgotten, are that, you know, it's interesting, you know, one of the things we talked about was like the surplus value issue, where, you know, people said like, hey, I don't want, I don't want, or, you know, companies taking my surplus value, um, but they haven't accounted 
how much value multiplier capital creates, right? And this is something where, like, if you've actually read Karl Marx's capital, like, Marx was a smart guy. Um, he understood that, like, capital also magnifies the value that you can create, right? So, for example, like, if I'm making shoes, if I work at a shoemaking factory and they have all this capital and I'm contributing to it, right, I'm, like, contributing to the shoemaking, right? The, the same group of people can make a lot more shoes than that group of people can make individually if they're all on their own making shoes, right? So you can create a lot more shoes and capital takes a cut of the value that you've created in your step. And that's kind of the deal, right? It's why, for example, people join my company, right? They're software engineers, a lot of software engineers, a lot of salespeople. They can make a lot more money at my company because capital has, you know, we've went and raised a bunch of capital, right? I'm an employee at my company. I make money there. I'm also a shareholder. So I'm part of the capital class now, right? Because I put in sweat equity to get that capital. So I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of both. And it's interesting, you know, if you think about the people, the reason people come and work at my company is because they can make a lot of money writing software. Whereas if they were on their own writing software, they probably couldn't make that kind of money. Right? Someone's like, I'm just going to write software like as an independent contractor. Like there are some who can make more, no doubt. Right? There are some independent contractors that have established themselves. They've created a brand and, and, and good for them. Right? And if someone doesn't want anyone taking their surplus value, they would need to go establish themselves in that way. My friend Austin, um, was an independent contractor in marketing for a while. And he actually made a lot more money per hour, um, including, you know, if if you take the time that he was spending drumming up business, not just the time he was billing, he actually made more money. Now, part of why he wants to work uh, at my company is he's looking to make even more money as a VP because he'll get promoted. And like, we'll, if, if ProdPerfect scales with more capital, we'll be able to increase the value he can provide uh, that he can create and, and he can take a bigger cut of that and he can make even more money. Um, he owns, you know, shares and such like that. So like there are these, all these folks that have, you know, we were talking about, there are all these folks that have this like really healthy relationship where they have, they, they believe they have the choice to go be able to exist, right. Be able to like eat by doing their own thing. And they choose to work with a company instead. Um, and that's cool. And, and we were talking about how part of the challenge is if, you have a lot of folks who aren't skilled, which is just always going to be true in every society, who like aren't skilled in the way of like being great at, at, at technology sales or being a software engineer or something like that. You know, they often don't have that option because if you don't have the corporate or a company structure of some sort, if you don't have capital, like a lot of people can't make money just with the skills they have in their hands. Um, they can't make enough to, to live. And so... What was what we found was really interesting was that, you know, the Great Resignation was this moment where, probably due in part to, um, you know, government support for unemployment, right, really generous unemployment. People said, well, I don't have to go back to work, and all of the like deals right now to go back to work kind of stink, so I'm not going to take it. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to hold out. Um, or, you know, I'll just, I'll, everyone else is quitting and, and I've got some money socked away and I'll quit. And, and so some of it was like supported by government money, trying to keep people afloat. And some of it was just this moment where you have a big pandemic and you start to reevaluate everything. Um, and I think what's, what's kind of, what's tragic, at least at this moment. Now, again, this, this disastrous interview may be like a fire that births a phoenix, 
where you actually get this kind of manifesto that you can get a lot of people on board with, not just a bunch of, you know, wannabe communists and anarchists, right? Um, like one of the moderators is a 21-year-old, uh, quote, long-term unemployed person who like read a few books on anarchism and they like, you know, they call themselves an anarchist, right? Like this person doesn't represent most Americans that can't create a, a broad movement, but you can get a broad movement around reimagining work, right? And uh, I've even saw, seen like a few rumblings around like anti-work will be replaced by reform work, right? Okay, now you're moving towards something, right? Now you're potentially moving towards, okay, what reforms do people want, right? Because you can get people around a list. That's what a manifesto is. You can get people around a list of, hey, you know what? We want a four-day work week for most people. We just do. Or like, you know, and, and we want higher minimum wage. And that's been something that folks have been fighting for for a while. Um, and it's happened in a lot of states. It just hasn't happened federally. Yet. And I think people forget a lot of those victories that they've had at the state level, um, which is where a lot of this stuff gets done. Um, or, you know, certain conditions want to change. Or we want to restore unions, right? You can have a manifesto and you can rally enough people around that. Now that you have this energy, you take advantage of the energy, you get a list and you get people advocating for that, um, and you can start to organize, you can become a political movement, right? You can take over a big part of the Democratic Party, you can potentially get some Republicans on board who are like more of the populist variety, right, that, that you know, we had talked about in 2016, possibly drove a lot of why they were voting for Trump. There's a ton of potential, but it wasn't realized, and it's because like by the time, and here's why the moment was lost, by the time anti-work got big enough, right, it was on this, like, super accelerating curve that the media was getting interested and wanted to interview a bunch of people. They didn't stand for anything, right? And so you just had some, like, 20-something goofus, dog walker, who's, like, not, again, doesn't have a platform, doesn't have a plan of things to say, just get jerked around by a, um, a host. And, of course, the... Apparently there was like a vote and people voted that the, that she not take the interview and she took it anyway. And so there's a lot of like personality problems, like, uh, but people blame her a lot, but it's, but it's also that this, this alleged movement wasn't ready for prime time because there was nothing to move to. There was no set of, this is the world we want. Boom. Here's the picture. Let's paint it for you. That wasn't there. So this, any interview was like, doomed to fail it may not have failed in such a spectacular way but it was doomed to fail because you can't sit there and even say this is the thing we want and um you know and this is where and this is why in part the subreddit is so on fire right now because people are saying you don't represent what i want and what i want is blank and now i think the subreddit is like starting to realize that like oh wait we all think we want different stuff like, we're all down for, like, you know, these, these corporations are bad and the way they're treating people is bad, but we're not pro anything, um, anything in particular. Right? There's nothing and, – and this is, like, often – this is actually a common problem in a lot of other movements that we're going to go over right now, which is, like, you want to get – like, there's this sense where you want to get as many people as possible on board because bigger is better, right? Um, and so you cast as wide a net as you can. You try to get as many supporters as you can. So you just, you just get people to agree with like, yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry. You're like, great, you're one of us. If you're angry, right, if you're hearing this, you are the resistance, right? If you're angry, you're welcome. And so the, and then what you do is you get a bunch of people who all disagree on what to actually do. And when it becomes game time, you have a civil war. 
right? The same dang thing happened in the French Revolution. This is why the revolution ate its children. Actually, it's part. Sorry. Some historian is going to be like, oh, God, why would you say that? That's wrong. It's only part of it. Um, There's a lot that went wrong in the revolution. But you had all these factions. Once they got rid of the king, it's like, okay, now what? And so we talked about this in the revolutions episode in general, that the reason a lot of these internal revolutions fail, and it's similar to anti-war, because you get a lot of people that are angry at the status quo, and you're like, all right, if you're angry with the status quo, you're part of the revolution, let's get rid of the status quo. Everyone's like, yeah, right? And then they do it. It's like, okay, what do we do next? And then a bunch of people fight because they all disagree on what to do next. And so congratulations, you got rid of the king, but then a bunch of you died and now Napoleon's in charge. Or you had your big civil war and now Caesar's in charge, right? And so none of you, not a single one of you got what you wanted. And maybe Napoleon was better than the king, but like, actually, sorry, maybe Caesar was better than the Senate. Napoleon was clearly not better than the king. He had his code of laws. There was some good stuff, but he also embroiled France in multiple continental wars and millions of French people died, right? So like the outcome of the French Revolution was bad during the revolution and like the white terror and all the civil wars that were going on inside. And then the end of it was bad. So was it worse than the king? Probably, right? So you go in half cocked because you're trying to make this big tent. You're trying to get as many people as possible by saying all that matters is that you're angry. You don't stand for anything. And then when it's your opportunity to say, okay, this is going to be the thing, you have a big fight about it. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So it happened in anti-work. It happened in the French Revolution. It didn't happen in the Russian Revolution because the Bolsheviks, uh, I mean, sorry, it did briefly, but then the Bolsheviks went down the route of, okay, we're just going to have a coup, we're going to take over, and we're going to start shooting everybody um, who doesn't agree. And a big part of it was that the Bolsheviks, unlike the anti-work folks, said, this is what we stand for, right? Like, people like Lenin and Trotsky had very clear, this is what we stand for. And they were a minority, but they were a very, very, very focused driven minority with a very clear outcome and they were going to stay in lock rank the whole time throughout the russian revolution right mike duncan is finishing up the russian revolution now in his revolutions podcast it's a really great example of why they were able to finish the revolution right the beginning of it was chaotic and there was a lot of disagreement and a lot of like okay what do we do next the bolsheviks were like f it We've got a super clear, super focused platform. Not everyone agrees with it. In fact, most people disagree, but we are, we have a very clear sense of what we want and exactly what it's going to look like. And we are driven. Um, And so there is this lesson that you, 
there is this twofold lesson, and we're actually going to go through a few other examples here. Twofold lesson. One, bigger is not always better for your movement. Two, you can't just be anti something, you have to be pro something. Right? So let's look at a few things that worked. Civil rights, right? You had a lot of leaders of it. It took time, right? The third, the third thing is patience, people, right? You need to stick to this for a while for it to work, right? Civil rights took time, but it was focused. We want black Americans or people of color in the United States who have the same legal rights as whites, period. Very clear, right? And we're going to keep going until we get it. And you put that flag up and people can say, I'm in. Right? And a lot of people were out, and it was a big fight, and a lot of people died, but they won. Gay marriage. right? We want gay people to be able to get married just like straight people. Very clear. And then you can pitch that and work it, right? and it took 50 years. Now, once it got going, it was really fast, but it took a lot of time, but you had this direction you could move towards. You had a lot of people against it at first, but you had this core of people who were like, this is it, I'm in, this is the outcome that I either want for myself or my friends or I just think is right. Same thing with women's suffrage, right? So you have all these movements that are pro-something, even revolutions, even communism, right? Even like the Bolsheviks, they're pro-something. They have a platform. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's clear, and it has an outcome where you can define victory. And they tend to work. Just being anti-something tends not to work. Let's look at a few examples. Austin and I talked about these, actually. Um, Occupy Wall Street. Failed. Right? It was like the big thing in 2009. People were mad as heck that, you know, what it you know, was, was this sense that, like, and, and people still think it's true. Or a lot of or some people, you know, some, some people think anything. But people had this sense that, the stock market goes up, rich people get rich. Stock market goes down, I lose my job. Wait, what? Right, like I don't benefit from it going up, but I get screwed when it goes down. That doesn't make sense, right? It feels like the game is rigged. It feels like rich people get rich and I just get screwed. And a lot of people are really mad. And so we're gonna, what are we going to do? We're going to occupy Wall Street and we're going to demand change. And then as soon as it came to, like they were there, they were trying to make a manifesto. But they, again, they started too late because they said, we're going to get as big a tent as possible. We're going to take advantage of all this energy and we're going to, we don't want to alienate anybody. Right. And there's a big part of that going on at the time. I remember people like, we don't want to alienate anybody. Um, We, you know, except the rich, the 1%, they're bad, but we don't want to alienate anyone in the working class. We want to get the whole working class on board. And um, the, and, and so you literally had people there arguing about what their manifesto was going to be on Wall Street, in New York, in tents, right? Or like outside of the tents, arguing about it. And the problem is you had socialists and communists and anarchists and then just like regular Joe people. um, And you had a whole lot of people who were like very academic and very excited about this, all trying to argue over what their manifesto should be. And it went nowhere and it dissolved and it died. And it wasn't the corporation's fault and it wasn't the police's fault and it wasn't the fascists and it wasn't the man. Nobody came and crushed Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street defeated itself. Period. Same kind of with the Tea Party. Although, I don't know if the Tea Party ever really wanted a super clear outcome. Um, and it was, like, better co-opted. You know, this, is, this is actually what's interesting. I've, I've been thinking about how Republicans do this and Democrats do this. But, like, if you think of the Tea Party as, like, hey, was there a specific set of outcomes that they wanted? No, 
And so did they get them? No. Right. Like what changed because of the Tea Party other than like you had some kind of people who were like, yeah, Tea Party government bad in Congress and like just kind of threw a wrench in the works. Like not much. Like Mitch McConnell went on to do Mitch McConnell things and John Boehner went on to do John Boehner things. Um, and these people made a lot of a noise and they were kind of a problem. But like to some extent, the Republican Party tried to co-opt them and like did a, you know, did an OK job of it in a way that the Democrats seem to have much more like infighting. Um, the Democrats seem not to be able to like get in line um, where, you know, your your much more progressive caucus like actively fights with and snipes, um, you know, leaders like Biden. Whereas like the, you know, the more right wing or the I don't even want to call it right wing, but like even Trumpists and Tea Party types like they didn't snipe John Boehner in public. They didn't snipe Paul Ryan in public. Um, and. It was actually like the more moderate folks that sniped Trump because but not because of like they wanted to have an ideological fight. It's because they were, <clears throat> you know, they believed he was like kind of a monster and, and not a representative of their party. But point being, um, you know, the the Tea Party didn't accomplish much, which inter- what's interesting is the Republicans seem to do a better job of incorporating movements like these and fueling that energy to say, look, just vote Republican. All you need to do to get what you want is vote Republican. And everyone's like, great, we'll vote Republican. Um Whereas, like, obviously the Democratic Party is not going to embrace anti-work in the same way it didn't embrace Occupy Wall Street. Um, And then the third one, and, like, perhaps the one that's kind of most tragic here is Black Lives Matter is kind of falling apart. And why? It's because there's, like, there were some ideas of what to do, but Black Lives Matter was, like, also an anti-something. I guess I didn't go over what, you know, what what was Occupy Wall Street anti? They're anti the 1%. Right. Or they're anti Wall Street, anti the stock market. You're not getting rid of the stock market. Right. For so many reasons, you're not getting rid of the stock market. It's not even a good idea. Um, You're not getting rid of rich people. There will always be a one percent. That's the definition. That's how percents work. Right. You can't get rid of rich people. You can tax them to death to make them less rich. But what you really do is you pass taxes and then they all move out. They all move out and take their money. Goodbye. Right. You could do that. But there wasn't like there were just anti inequality, anti rich, anti Wall Street. Tea Party was like anti government. Government bad, taxes bad. Okay, well you're always gonna have taxes. You're always gonna have government. So like what do you really want? Nothing was accomplished. And the real tragedy about Black Lives Matter is you might think like, well, the thing we want is for black people to not get killed. And or or at least by the state, because Black Lives Matter didn't seem to like not touch on how many black Americans are killed by just citizens, not the state. Um, And so it may have just been more about state deaths um, of black Americans, but the, what it stood for, like the kind of proposals that got all over the place. You had this like great thing called project zero, I believe uh, was the name. And it was, it had like a, a list of, of certain police reforms that they believed and like seem to be backed by some science that would would dramatically improve the relationship between police and uh, Americans as a whole. You don't have to be black. Um, and, you know, we talked about some of these proposals. One of them is like get rid of police unions. One of them is get rid of qualified immunity. One of them is like just change how police unions work because, you know, certain ways that, you know, like, like restrict certain stuff for police unions. Like the fact that um, the fact that like, police officers can see all the evidence before they're interviewed kind of thing. And 
you know, and go like with other officers, like go make a, go make a plan. Right. And, and you don't have independent review and in the kind of, of, of what happens with the police, um, in the kind of way you do other stuff, right? There's a lot of good proposals, but the problem is the stuff that got really loud was the anti stuff, right? Defund the police, right? Okay. You can get people pumped about that, but like, what are your alternative solutions, right? What are you pro? What is the, what, like, at what point is it done? Is it when they're defunded, when they lost, you know, and, and like, how does like, let's say it's get rid of 20 or 25% of their budget. When he is, is what's the outcome you're looking for? What does success look like? Because are the police going to act differently because they have 20% less budget? No, it's just, we hate the police. And so we don't want to fund them anymore. Right. It wasn't a concrete proposal. I mean, there was abolished police. Right. But like, but, but the part that was loud about BLM was like police bad and police brutality bad. And of course, police brutality is bad. But what are what are you for? You didn't have that unity, that clarity in the same way that civil rights, gay marriage, women's suffrage, even like the Bolshevik party of Russia had a really clear, very united, very focused concept of this is what we want. And we're not going to stop till we get it. And so the reconsider moment for the day is if you're angry and you're part of anti-something, you're probably in trouble. You're probably wasting your energy. You need to find what to be pro. You need to find the outcome. Like a, a, You need to paint a picture of a future that is brighter, that is better, and make it clear and make it simple and rally people around that picture, right? And again, it has to be, it has to be simple and clear, right? It, it, it can't just be, oh, well, people are free to do whatever they want, right? You know, like anti-work. We're all, we're all about people like being free to do what they want and not being wage slaves anymore. Again, you're still anti-something. You're anti-wage slavery. Um, you're anti-restrictions. There's not a clear, we want this. Use, you know, if you want change, if you want to be a reformer, use the civil rights movement, gay marriage, women's suffrage, etc. as, I mean, look, you're a communist listening to this. The Bolsheviks did a pretty good job of it. Now they're awful. You know, they murdered tens of millions of people so you know use with caution but if you want to accomplish something and not just you know not just have the revolution like blow up in a civil war as soon as it gets going stop being anti-things and start being pro-things so hopefully you learned something from this and uh you know as as usual i've actually gotten like a ton of good input from listeners recently the kind of like hey this is what anti-work stands for was more from like friends of mine um Listeners have just, like, I've loved the emails I've been getting recently. So Eric, E-R-I-K, at ReconsiderMedia.com. Absolutely love those. Really interesting input. Um, uh, I've been having some like, great correspondence, especially with some of the patrons. Um, some of the patrons have been, like, really active with correspondence. Thank you. Um, have been, like, relating stuff back to Wedge, giving me ideas for, for new episodes, for q and I've got a few new episodes coming out. Um, I'll, I'll just preview uh, they're called Optimates Populares and Senatus. And it's about like kind of, uh, these, uh, these different forces we see in the United States right now that look like, um, the forces of pre-Civil War Roman Republic. Um, so like all this cool stuff coming out that I'm very excited about, um, that's been coming from correspondence, especially from patrons who've been like really involved in Q and A and episode design. So, um, to everyone who's been like writing me to every, uh, patron that's been supporting, Obviously, look, thank you. It's been, uh, I'm having fun again. I hope you can hear it in my voice um, in a way that like I wasn't for a bit. And, and you guys 
the reconsider community, um, you know, make it worth it. And heck, you know, maybe if we get big enough, we need to start thinking about what we're for because I might be an anti thing as well. Maybe that's the thing for me to reconsider. Like I'm anti hyperpartisanship. Okay. What am I pro, right? Am I pro just like thinking stuff through probably got to do better than that. If I want to make it a movement. So parting thought, just thought of it. If you can think of, and I don't mind getting a bunch of different answers on this. If you can think of like, here's the thing we're for, here is the vision of the future that Reconsider stands for, I'd love to hear it. So uh, don't let the pundits, even me, because sometimes I, I fall into some punditry, do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.